I'm Brett Chang, and this is your Peak Daily for Monday, September 19th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. So the line to pay respects to Queen Elizabeth II, who passed away last week, was at 1.5 miles, according to a digital queue tracker set up by the UK government. People were waiting for hours to say goodbye to the Queen. And it wasn't just us normal subjects in the line. David Beckham waited in the line. He waited for about 12 hours to go see the Queen. Jason Kenney, Premier of Alberta, he traveled all the way from Edmonton to go pay his respects. And hundreds of thousands are expected to do a very similar pilgrimage. Beckham even bought donuts for the rest of his line mates. So it's a real, there's a lot of activity there. If you plan to go, expect long lines. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite something to see so many people out there paying respects to Queen Elizabeth II. And we've got some great stories for you today. I will say that we have some very special celebration announcements at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for those. For our first story, is a Michelin star still worth it? For our second story, employees still aren't going into the office. And for our last story, a teenager hacked Uber. Yes, a teenager. For our first story, if you've been on the internet last week, there's a good chance that you already know that the Michelin Guide awarded its first Canadian stars to 13 restaurants. But does a Michelin star still offer the same benefits as it used to? Well, let's dig into the history a bit here. So the company behind Michelin, the Michelin stars, is Michelin, the the tire company. Yes, that Michelin with the Michelin puffy Michelin man. And they initially launched its guide in 1926 as a marketing strategy to get people in their cars and on the roads wearing down tires and hopefully selling more tires down the road. It was pretty smart. And today it's actually become a pretty big deal. So worldwide, it includes about 15,000 restaurants, but only 10% of those actually have stars. So the guide has 15,000 restaurants and 10% are issued stars. Inspectors travel up to three weeks a month and eat out up to 10 meals a week in order to decide who actually gets the stars and who's in the guide. Now, Michelin inspectors look out for five things, quality of ingredients, culinary technique, flavors, a chef's flair, and consistency between visits from various inspectors. Now, of the 7,500 restaurants in Toronto, among the one-star winners are Allo, a French restaurant, Don Alfonso, 1890, once named the best Italian food outside of Italy, and one-star means that the restaurant is worth a stop, two, a detour, and three, well, that's a very special journey that you should make, a distinction that only 136 restaurants in the world actually hold. Getting two stars, as Shusi Masaki Saito did, takes additional visits from inspectors who are experts in the region's cuisine, and in this case, that would be Japan. Now, here's why it matters. The Michelin Guide is not only important in the culinary community and to cultivate talent, but cities see it as a guaranteed boost in tourism revenue. Stars equal dollar signs. On average, a restaurant's visit increases by 20% with one stars, with one star, 40% with two stars, and 100% with three stars. Prices tend to increase by similar amounts, as you can imagine. But experts say the Michelin picks don't reflect the diversity of Toronto's culinary landscape, and the guide has faced its share of criticism in recent years. Some restaurants have given back their stars after chefs claimed that trying to keep up with the guide's high standards was hurting their own personal health. And to zoom out, as diners replace their fancy guides with social media algorithms when deciding where to grab dinner, the future of these guides is becoming increasingly unclear. But next up... Vancouver will be the next Canadian city that inspectors will put to the test. So we're excited to see who makes it there. For our second story, offices are back up and running, but employers are having trouble actually filling them with employees who remain perfectly fine at home. Thank you 
very much. Now, let's start with why it matters that offices aren't filling up like their bosses thought they would. So two years have completely changed how and where we work. But if employers can't keep up with the changing scene, retention could become an issue. Work from home clauses are becoming a key part of labor negotiations as unions fight for their members to have more of a say in what their workplaces look like. And this is all happening because the perks of work from home include peace of peace and quiet to actually get work done for those of us at least who live alone. No workplace irritants. In some cases, those might even be your work friends, and in many cases, an uptake in mental health by just working from home. Now, 79% of men and 77% of women who worked at home during the pandemic preferred it a lot more than the office, per a Future Skills Center survey. Even for workers in fun offices, rock climbing walls, Coca-Cola float-making robots, okay, we made that one up, but these are all increasingly seen as distractions rather than perks of being an employee. But it's still unclear if work from home is better than getting stuff done in the office as Canadian labor productivity fell for the seventh straight quarter earlier this year. Many companies will have to balance what could become a guaranteed right to work from home while enhancing work environments for those keen on that in-real-life environment. And for our last story, when I was 18, I was worried about getting into the university of my choice, but kids these days, well, they're busy hacking billion-dollar companies. Now, you won't believe kids these days. Uber confirmed its internal system suffered a breach perpetrated by someone at least alleging to be an 18-year-old. The hacker told the Washington Post they breached Uber for fun because it has, quote-unquote, awful security. They posed as corporate IT and persuaded an employee to give up a password, per the New York Times, so they might be right on to that Point. Now, the hacker alerted employees of the breach by posting a message in the company's Slack that included a hashtag Uber underpays drivers call out. Many thought originally it was a practical joke, but a security engineer who spoke with the hacker said they pretty much have full access, including entry to Uber's cloud services and financial data. Now, it's unclear what this could mean for the data of 122 million riders and 5 million drivers, but it wouldn't be the first time that their data was compromised. And if we zoom out here, cybersecurity incidences are on the rise, and Uber is not the only big company to suffer a breach this year. Sorry, Microsoft. It's another sign that companies need to batten down those hatches. And before we log off, we wanted to wish Dana Ackland, a very special friend of the pod, a happy birthday from all of us at the peak, all the peak pals, Megan and Lewis. And congrats to Dan Shaw, who's starting his first day at work post-university. Good luck today. You're going to kill it. And peak pals, thank you for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. As always, thanks to Dill Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Peak Pals. Happy birthday, Dana. And we'll see you tomorrow.